0: How many of you have heard the term control freak? (laughs) I know we joke about the reality of a control freak, but most control freaks actually are unaware that they are. Most important thing that I want to tell you is this be careful of confusing those who have the spirit of control with those who are diligent workers. We often confuse the two because there's a world of difference with someone who is actually a control freak and someone who has just been diligent and conscientious and lives up to their responsibility, and they faithful in their life and in their service. I want to explain the difference between the two, the difference between diligence and controlling. Living up to your responsibility means that you are diligent, that you redeem the time, that you are faithful in meeting your obligations. And that cuts across the board, whether as a parent or whether it is in ministry or it's in your profession or it's just being a faithful husband and wife. All of our responsibilities in life, we are to be diligent, to be thoughtful, to be hardworking, and to be responsible. That's very different, very different from being controlling. Controlling often comes from a severe case of insecurity, which is, comes out of anxiety. Controlling is out of a desire to take credit for everything. Controlling comes out of being more concerned about image and reputation than with reality. Furthermore, controlling people work over time to manipulate others and to manipulate situations and to manipulate circumstances to make them go their way. Controlling people often try to engineer situations to their advantage. Controlling people convince themselves that the world is going to fall apart without them. They think that the world is going to fall apart If they're not in charge. (laughs) And without them, nothing worthwhile is going to happen. That without them, even God cannot accomplish much. Oh, they don't verbalize it that way. (laughs) They're not going to come out and say it bluntly as I'm saying it, no. But their actions portray their attitude. Now, I want you to turn with me to the book of 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning at verse 38. In fact, it's a very short passage—verses 38 to 41. Here is an example of how the controlling spirit brought about an intrusion upon God's supernatural provision. As often the case, that intrusion upon God's supernatural work always brings misery, always brings pain— and even death. Here's an example of how a controlling spirit tries to improve on God's plan and God's purpose, and how that improvement can have a deadly prospect. Here's an example of how a controlling spirit can hurt not only the uh, individual—himself or herself—but also a family, a community, and even God's work. As I've been doing in this this series of messages, I want to reiterate this historic incident in a story form, in a narrative form, so that our young people, everybody can follow it. Okay, here we go. First of all, there was a famine. Can you say that with me? There was… Don't miss that. (laughs) The land of Israel often suffered from famine because they were totally dependent on rain, and if the rain doesn't come, famine sets in with famine, always a terrible suffering. Now, we've never experienced physical famine, at least my generation. Oh, but we have experienced spiritual famine. I have experienced spiritual famine. Not physical famine, but spiritual famine. And that is why I often warn myself, and I warn everybody who would listen, (laughs) that during stressful time in life, whatever circumstances you're going through, stressful circumstances in our lives. Be very careful, because stressful times can either bring an opportunity to trust God more, or you open yourself up to a disaster. During stressful time, either it can be an opportunity to exercise trust in the faithfulness of God, or a doorway to calamity. Back to the story. There was a Bible college in Gilgal, a seminary. That seminary was established by Elisha's predecessor, the prophet Elijah. And they were going through a stressful time. As I said, times of famine are very stressful. The prophet Elisha, who succeeded Elijah as president of the seminary, was on the road preaching and maybe raising money like most seminary presidents do. (laughs) They go on the road, raise money for the school. They're raising money for whatever he was doing. He was away from college. He comes home to Gilgal, back to the college, back to the seminary, to check on the students. And he found them at that moment going through a very stressful time. So he Steps out in faith and tells his assistant Gehaziah, and he said, Find out a big pot and prepare a big, nice stew, enough for all the students so they can eat. Now, (laughs) those of you who are bright, which is all of you, you're listening to me and you're saying, Time out, Michael, time out. Just wait a minute you have just said, or the Word of God actually said it, I didn't, (laughs) there was a famine. There was a what? Well, how in the world would Elisha says to Gehaziah, to his assistant, go and get the biggest pot and prepare a stew, and it's enough for all the seminarians to eat? How in the world is this happening? Well, God makes a provision for His faithful one's in tough times. God always, always refreshes His righteous ones in the times of suffering. He may not remove the suffering, but He will refresh you in the middle of the suffering. God will always prove His sufficiency to His faithful children in times of need. God will always honor those who honor Him. God will always be a light to His faithful ones in the midst of their darkness. God will always bring water out of the rock to His faithful children. God will always multiply and increase the very little that you have for those who trust Him. I can tell you on the authority of God's Word that God has been, is, and always will be in the miracle business. God never gets out of the miracle business. Even in the midst of calamities, even in the midst of natural disaster, even in the midst of judgment, even in the midst of stressful times, God always will move on behalf of his faithful children. Oh, his timing may, actually, I can say probably with confidence, always differ from mine. (laughs) And I'm sure it differs from yours. But he will always come through. If you don't believe me, think, walk with me in Bible land. Look at the map in the Scripture. When famine struck Canaan, that would have wiped all of the children of Israel— and those are the men and women through whom God was going to bring the Messiah. They would have been wiped out, but God already sent Joseph ahead of them to Egypt to ensure their survival. In the book of Exodus, when the entire Egyptians were living in darkness, even in the daytime, God had light in the community of God. In First Kings when there was a famine that struck the land because of the wickedness of King Ahab and the evil Queen Jezebel, God provided supernaturally for His servant Elijah. It would take me hours to just give you example after example after example from the Scripture. Psalm says, The Lord will give favor and honor. No good thing will He withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Now, you notice he didn't say those whose walk is perfect, (laughs) because that disqualifies all of us. He said blameless. Blameless doesn't mean perfect. Blameless means that you're walking humbly before God. Blameless means that you're trusting in God with your whole heart. It means that you are faithful, believing in God and in God's promises. Now, beloved, listen to me. The real problem with our most postmodern Western culture today is that we, even in the church, have created a God in our own image. We have created a God who should conform to our likes and dislikes. We have created a God who should be obedient to us. We have created a God who must desire what we desire. We have created a God who never, never judges sin. We have created a God, not just our own image, but we have created a God whom we lock up in our minds somewhere, and then when we need Him, we bring Him out, and then ask Him to do what we want Him to do. We have created a God who is helpless without us. Every generation faces its own challenges. This is the tragedy of our generation today. I know in the past we used to Talk about God's little helpers. (laughs) Now we have God's big helpers. They really are. They're God's big helpers. In the midst of famine, God supernaturally provided for the seminary students. Elisha said to his assistant, Go and get the biggest pot and make a delicious stew. Beloved, listen to me. This is where the story should have ended. This is where this incident should have come to an end, and now we should be reading that these company of prophets, these seminarians, were eating and praising God and rejoicing and saying, Thank you, Lord. This is where it should finished. This is where it should have finished. They're eating and praising God for His supernatural intervention. Oh, but no. No, 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 no. Verse 39. <laughs> A control freak. Well, that's a use of translation. A big ego would not be satisfied with God's provision. He had to improve on God's provision. <laughs> he has to intrude on God's provision. He has to modify the miracle. He had to get the credit, for only God should have taken the credit, all of the credit, without exception. I want you to imagine with me, just imagine with me, here's that pot of stew... I'm going to make some of you hungry. I mean, he's smelling this thing cooking. And in midst of famine, this just smelled fantastic. (laughs) And the Bible said one of them. Can you say one of them? them. There's always one of them. (laughs) Verse 39, one of them. Glory to God. (laughs) One of them went out and he found some sort of wild berries. So he gathered and he puts it in the lap of his Stuff again. The more the merrier. The more the merrier. And he comes in, goes into that pot of stew that absolutely smelled fantastic, and he dumps it in there. God can do the miracle without me. Come on. He probably said to himself, <laughs> "How can you call that a stew without my additional ingredients? <laughs> I'm the one who's going to make the difference." God may have provided, oh, but not without my help. So he brings his goodies, and he tosses them in the pot. Remember, I told you that if you don't have a sense of humor, if you really can't laugh, you're missing out on a great theology of the Bible. (laughs) I laughed all week long about this. It may be tragic, and it is tragic, but I laughed. I laughed so much. Every time I thought of the text, I laughed. Do you know why I laughed? Because that was me. That was old me. Because that would have been me without the work of the Holy Spirit in me. If you become so uptight, as soon as I start talking about control freaks, it's okay. It's okay. Relax. Don't get uptight. Breathe. Take a breath. It's okay. I'm glad you got uptight. <laughs> because it means that God is going to deliver you today. God is going to set you free today. Because God wants you to fully trust Him today as you faithfully and diligently work for Him. But this guy, he just couldn't stand God doing something without His help. <laughs> he could not stand that he should be just a recipient and not the provider. He couldn't stand being the child. He wanted to be the father. He couldn't stand being the servant. He wanted to be the master. He couldn't stand being the guest. He wanted to be the host. He saw he wanted to improve on God's provision, and he wanted to get some credit. Oh, unbeknown to him, what he did is that he poisoned the pot. He poisoned the pot. He wanted to add to God's provision and what he added was death what he added to God's miracle was a disaster he just couldn't understand that God could accomplish anything by himself so what happened his controlling spirit neutralized the miracle neutralized the miracle You see, what God wants you and me, to give Him room to work. God wants you to only meet the conditions of the promises, and He will do the rest. God wants you to trust Him, and to trust Him with all of your heart. By the way, you see this throughout the Scripture. You see it throughout the Scripture, and the Scripture warning and warning and warning and warning and warning. And Paul said that these things in the Scripture are warning to us. Cain wanted to worship God his way, not God's way. In a fit of jealousy, he killed Abel. He poisoned the pot. The sons of Aaron, you remember, the brother of Moses, the first high priest of Israel, the Levite high priest. The sons of Aaron brought about a strange fire instead of waiting for the heavenly fire to consume the sacrifice and they brought death and disaster on the Israelite community. They poisoned the pot. You see it's throughout the Scripture. Eli, the high priest in the time of Samuel, you remember, his sons were worshiping God their own way. They were actually rebellious, but they were trying to steal the sacrifice, and God brought defeat upon Israel. They poisoned the pot. King Saul wanted to sacrifice to God his way, and he brought disaster upon Israel. He poisoned the pot. In the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira conspired to lie to the Holy Spirit and take matters into their own hands, and they brought their own death. They poisoned the pot. Anytime any of us try to get in God's way, we poison the path. Beloved, I have confessed to you many times that I ran ahead of the Lord and did not wait in prayer and fasting until I got my marching orders from him. Every time, not just some of the time, despite of the overruling grace of God, but every time I've done that, I made the mess of things. But here's the good news. Here's the great news. In fact, here is the most fantastic news of all. And if you heard everything I said, and you missed this one, you have missed everything. Here is the great news, verse 41. Elisha said, bring me some wheat flour. And he took the wheat flour, and he threw it in the pot, and he neutralized the poison. You see what is this all about? Listen carefully. In the scripture flower is a type of Christ and his resurrection power. Our Lord resurrection power was a result of the grain of wheat himself was grinded and crushed on the cross of Calvary. Remember Jesus said in the gospel of John, "Unless the grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it will not produce harvest." He's speaking of himself. Jesus was speaking about His cross. Jesus was speaking about His redemptive death upon the cross. The resurrected Jesus is the flower that removed death from the pot of our life. Jesus is the flower that brought life out of death. Jesus is the flower who put an end to man's effort of salvation. Jesus is the flower that put an end to man's desire to be saved by his good works. Jesus is the flower that ended the power of the ceremonial law. Jesus is the flower that raised us from the death Of spiritual death. Jesus is the flower that saved us from a disaster and the disaster of tempting for self salvation. He's the flower. Well, give him glory. Give him glory. Give him glory. Give him glory. And that is why only the resurrected Jesus can deliver you and you and you and me. From the controlling spirit. And that is why only the resurrected Jesus has the power to nullify the power of self that sometimes try to reign supreme. Will you let that wheat flower, the resurrected Jesus, come into the pot of your life now, at this very moment, and resurrect your life from whatever. Whatever you are. And wherever you are, God knows where you are. And God wants to minister to you today. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.